We are continuing our series on 1 Peter, The Pilgrim's Life, and the title of our message today is Overcoming Adversity. The last two weeks, we've learned that we are pilgrims living in tension between two realities. We are resident aliens. We live in this world, but we do not belong to this world. We are on a journey, but we are not tourists traveling for leisure or vacation, but we are sojourners, pilgrims, traveling through this world, vulnerable and exposed to different kinds of trials and suffering as we journey towards our real home. Dr. Michael Emlet says that as Christians, this is true of us all at the same time. We are saints, sinners, and sufferers. We are saints after Christ, after we believe in Christ, our sins have been forgiven and we are righteous already before God and so God now sees us as saints. But we are also sufferers. We suffer and we fight against the evil inside us and that is the sinner's part. We still continue with our struggle in sin but at the same time we also struggle with the evil outside us and therefore we are sufferers. You see one of the, one part of my pastoral ministry is ministering to sufferers and I remember the first time I had my memorial service, it's very memorable, not because it is first time, but because it's quite sad because the service was for a nine-year-old child. Sadly, that little girl died of a rare disease. And it's really um, moving to see one young little girl, very beautiful girl, died at an early age. And that's a challenge for the many pastors. We are ministering not just to one sufferer, but multiple sufferers simultaneously. We know people who are having difficulties in their marriage relationship. We know parents who have children that have been diagnosed with special cases. And there are those who have teenagers that are rebelling against God, turn away, turning away from the Lord. And there are those who have been diagnosed with an unexpected disease. And just uh, a few days ago, we talked to someone and she said, you know, my husband just died and it was surprising because two weeks ago he was healthy, but now he's gone. And so this is the reality that we are living in. We also have friends who have been betrayed or cheated by their most trusted employees. There are those who are going through business challenges, financial difficulties, and relational issues. You see, suffering is the norm of life. It is not the exemption. You see, we live in a fallen world that often falls on us. There's frustration, disappointments, unfulfilled dreams, decay, losses, and death. And so as followers of Christ, we suffer even more. Why? Because we live in a world that is hostile against us. Yes, we are ambassadors, but the place where we serve is a place that is unfriendly and opposed to us. So that is an extra suffering for us as believers. Now the question is, how do we overcome adversity as we follow Christ? How can we suffer well and live a victorious life amidst our trials and difficulties? You see, as pilgrims, the journey is treacherous. There will be suffering and difficulties. The question is not about are we going to suffer? But the question is, how are we going to suffer? And are we going to suffer well? And that is why Peter wrote this letter to encourage the believers. He shows us what to know 
and what to do so that we can overcome adversity. And that is something that we will learn today. And so for today, this is our key message to overcome adversity. God calls us to grow spiritually, to come to Jesus in humility, and to remember our privileged identity so that we can live excellently for the glory of God. And let us look at this one by one. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the first is to grow spiritually. Verse 1 to 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. There are two things that we need to do to grow spiritually. The first is to remove all sinful habits in your life. Verse one, it says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. You see the word therefore, it's a, it's a signal that this part is connected to the previous part. It says there in First Peter chapter one, verse 22, fervently love one another love one another, and therefore, put aside all this, put aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and slander. You see, that's the ultimate measure of spiritual growth. It's not theological knowledge, it's not Bible trivia knowledge, but the ultimate measure of spiritual growth and maturity is love. Love, of course, love based on the truth, loving God and loving others. And how do we do that? God calls us to put aside certain things. To put aside basically means to lay down, to cast away. It's like removing dirty clothes so that we can have new garments. It's putting aside. And we are to put aside these things. The desire to hurt others, scamming other people, put as, putting aside pretense, or being jealous or resentful of other person's blessing, or defaming someone, backbiting. So basically, Peter is saying, put aside things that focuses on yourself, and love more, which focuses on others. That is one way to grow spiritually. And part of that, and this is one thing that I want to highlight today, is to grow spiritually, we need to have that longing and craving for spiritual nourishment. Like newborn babies, long for pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Remember in chapter one, Peter tells us, that as pilgrims we will suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But for us to suffer well, we need to grow spiritually. We need to have the strength so that we can overcome. But here's the problem. What do you do when you suffer? What's your default? Normally what we do, of course, when we suffer, we focus on it and we tend to do our best to solve it and then we start to be preoccupied by it. But then we tend to be so busy, then we start neglecting our quiet time and say, oh, I'm too busy, I have so much to do, then I'll forego my time with the Lord so I can work on these things. And when your suffering continues, what we do? What do we do? We say, oh, nagtatampo na tayo kay Lord. I, I'll, I'll stop attending life group, I'll stop attending church, I'll stop doing my devotions, I'll stop being part of God's community. And sadly, this is something that happened to some people and loved ones we know. But Peter says you can't afford to do these things if you want to overcome adversity because the more you face suffering, the more you need to grow spiritually. It's counterintuitive because to grow spiritually, you have to devote time and energy and effort. At the same time, when you deal with your problems, you have to do the same, but you have to 
balance this. We have to grow spiritually. As one leader says, to overcome bigger problems, we need to grow and become better persons. And so that is true in our physical life, in our business life, and it is also true in our spiritual life. We need to grow, we need to be better persons so that we can overcome the bigger problems. And how can we do that? Verse 2 tells us, like newborn babies crave and long for pure milk. And what is that pure milk? It's the word of God. You see, milk for newborn babies is not optional, it is essential. So like newborn babies, God calls us to crave for it. Now it doesn't mean that Peter is saying that the believers in his time were all brand new baby Christians. No, the point is this, he says, every follower of Christ is to be childlike, we are to be like babies to crave, to, be desire, to desire to be fed spiritually. So whether you are a new Christian or a long-term follower of Christ, we need to grow spiritually. Whether you're a pastor, you're a deacon, you're a leader, you're a ministry volunteer, whatever level of maturity that you have, you and I need to grow spiritually. And not only that, it says here, not only drink milk, but to long for it, to desire. To desire is to have that great intensity to want. Think about it. When a newborn infant is hungry, what does he or she does? She will cry, he will cry until she gets that milk. And she will do everything until she gets the attention of the mom. And even for us adults, when we are craving for something, we will go, we will travel long, we will spend so much money just to have the taste of whatever you want. (laughs) Because that is a strong craving. But the question is, do we have that same longing for God's word? Do we have that same craving for the things of God? Now think about your life. How often do you feed on God's word? Is it daily? That's well and good for you. Or is it weekly? Only when you go to church, only when you hear pastors preach. Sometimes weekly, tapos 20 minutes pa. Not even the whole day. But imagine a mother feeding her child just once a week, what would happen to that baby? That baby would die. If a miracle happened, of course, perhaps that baby survived, but that baby would grow deprived of nourishment. He or she would be malnourished. And we've seen photos of this. Children who's lacking nutrition. They're just skin and bones, bloated bellies, no strength and energy, vulnerable to disease. And sadly, that's the picture of many Christians today. Many of us go to church, say hi, hello, we raise our hand, praise the Lord. But in reality, some of us are, have this in our life. We are spiritually malnourished. And why is that? Why are we, why do we not have that craving for God's word? Why is it that we do not have longing for the things of God? I read a, one comment of an, uh, author Paul Tripp, he says, it's quite interesting. You see, the problem is not that, I mean, let, let me say that again. The problem is that we are easily satisfied. We do not crave for the things of God because we are easily satisfied. The true crisis in modern evangelical church today is not dissatisfaction. Actually, it's the opposite. We are all too satisfied. We're all too satisfied with who we are, where we are, and what we're doing. We're satisfied with a little bit of biblical literacy and satisfied with a bit of a grasp of 
theology of scripture, we are satisfied with quick morning devotions and occasional moments of ministries. We're satisfied to be mere consumers of the work of the church rather than committed participants in it. And we're also satisfied with our relationships, the level of our relationships. Yes, we're married for a while, but we're satisfied and it doesn't seem that we'll break up soon and so we're satisfied with that level of connection with our spouse. We're satisfied with the amount of conflicts in our lives. We're satisfied that we don't act out our lust or even verbally communicate most of our envy. And we're satisfied in our disappointment with God, we do not even walk away, so God should have been grateful for us. And we're satisfied with our hearts occasionally wandering with our thoughts that contradict what the Bible says, good and true, we're satisfied. So the point of Paul Tripp's is we're too satisfied with the things of this world that we do not hunger for God. We're too satisfied with that mediocre level of relationship with God that we no longer want to go deep. And so no wonder we do not crave for God. And that's the root of our problem. And this is something that our Lord Jesus Christ says in his word, in one of his parables he says, our worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, it choked God's word and therefore making it unfruitful in our lives. That's the reality. So church, God calls us, we should not stay there, but to return and repent. And what can we do? How do we return to God? Verse three tells us, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, God says, crave spiritual milk of the word. How do you do that? Go back, go back to basics. Remember God's kindness and mercy. Refocus your eyes on Jesus, realign your hearts. And that is why we are having this worship service every week, so that we can realign, we can refocus, we can encourage one another, remind each other that, hey, focus on the cross, focus on the great privilege that we have in Christ so that we can run the race once more, that we can have the strength to overcome. We need to remember the great blessing that we have in the Lord. We just, First Peter tells us in chapter one, he reminded us of our new birth, of our living hope, of our secure and eternal inheritance, and this is something that would encourage us to go back to the word. And so, the action point today is, let's go back to the word. I encourage you, read the Bible daily, whether you feel like doing it or not. Don't wait to feel inspired. Many of us will say, oh, I'll just do this when I feel inspired when I do this, when things are okay. No, don't do that. Just do it. For how long? Until it becomes automatic. You see, there's a quite interesting research according to the University College of London, how long it takes for a habit to be formed. How long? Some say 21 days, but it's, this is a recent research, takes about 10 weeks to form a new habit. Exactly 66 days for a new behavior to become automatic. Yes, the habit, first 21 days is very crucial, but for it to become automatic, it will take 66 days. And even athletes do this. Initially, we do, the athletes train, they use willpower. For the next few days, they just use willpower, but then they do the routine and it becomes automatic. And so in the Christian life, we have to do the same. We have to develop this new habit. And so here's what I want to encourage you. For the next 10 weeks or for the next 70 days, commit yourself to reading God's word, whether you like it or not. Open the word, open your Bible, just show up, do that. 
I encourage you to do this every day. It's not for me, it's really for you. You're eating God's word, it's you who will grow, not me. As pastors and leaders, we also have that responsibility, we eat God's word. But remember, when we eat God's word, we're chewing it, and do you want the food that we chew to put in your mouth? It's quite different, right? But so the point is, you have to eat on your own, we have to eat on our own, and we should learn how to grow spiritually and take responsibility for that. So I encourage you, maybe you can use some of this. This is one thing that I'm using, and this is a blank uh, sample. Uh, you, can, you can check that, you can download it from the navigators to help you um, go through God's word daily. The point is, you and I must take responsibility to grow spiritually. Let's feed on God's word. Let God's word master us as we master it. That's the only way for us to grow and mature spiritually so that we can have the strength to overcome adversity. We need to grow spiritually. That's the first thing. The second, come to Jesus in humility. Verse four, and coming to him as living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in God's sight. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The word coming here in verse four is in the present tense. It says you need to keep coming. And that idea includes remaining and abiding in Christ. So Peter is saying, Let's keep coming to Jesus. Let's keep pursuing an intimate relationship with him. That would enable us so that we can overcome the challenges before us. And in this section, Peter uses three metaphors to describe our Lord Jesus Christ. And first, Jesus Christ is called the living stone. It's in the singular. Jesus Christ is the living stone and we are called the living stones. We, that's in the plural. We are living stones because of our connection to the source of life who is our Lord. And now this living stone is being connected. It says that we are being built up to become God's spiritual house or temple. And the temple is the place where God's presence is there. And for what reason? So that we could offer up sacrifices acceptable to God. Now I want to highlight the truth here. It says we are living stones, we are connected together. And this reality points to the truth that we, as we suffer, God calls us to suffer together and not to do it alone. God calls us to journey together and God desires for us to stay connected with God's people. And now the question is, are you part of God's people? Are you part of God's community? I'm grateful, yes, last night we had the Dare Singles Dice Game and we saw at least 100 people Singles coming together, having that community. It's a very wonderful opportunity for our singles. Yung youth kasi natin, meron na silang lounge for the youth. Our couples also, we have our Pika Chica after the services. So we encourage you to be part of this group. Some of you, we encourage you to join your life groups or respective fellowship groups. And let's stay connected with each other because this is God's call for us. We are living stones and we need God and we need each other. Now, if you are not yet part of the group, we would love to serve you. So please approach us uh, outside the lobby and reception. So we'll do our best to connect you in one of the groups. 
Now, next, Jesus is the cornerstone. It says here, for this is contained in scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, what's the significance of a cornerstone? You see, the cornerstone is the most important stone in an ancient building. It is the first stone that is cast and set at the corner, and once it's cast, every stone and wall are aligned according to it. And the stone is very important because selecting that stone will determine the stability and the endurance of the structure. And that is what Peter says here. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and we are called to build upon him. Now Martin Luther commented on this passage. He says, for each of our lives, we have a cornerstone. And your cornerstone is whatever you build the rest of your life on. It's your anchor. It's your foundation. It's what you turn back to when your life crumbles. And so think about your life. When your life falls apart, where do you go to? Who do you run to? Who is your cornerstone? Perhaps when you suffer, you tell and rely on yourself and say, well, I'm still rich. I still have lots of money, so I'll be probably okay. Then it means your cornerstone is your money. Or you may say, at least I have a strong family, good relationships. Then your cornerstone is that family relationship. Or perhaps you may say, I'm young, I'm beautiful, attractive. Then your cornerstone is your fitness and your beauty. Or you may say, I'm talented and people like me. I can always rebuild and I'm good and good people wins in the end. Then it means your cornerstone is yourself, your ability and your goodness. You see, in this life, we are constantly bombarded with the temptation to build our lives on something other than Christ. And this could be good things, career, achievements, relationships, and possessions. But then, God calls us, God tells us, don't anchor your life on these things because these are not stable. Only our Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ is the sure and secure foundation and he is to be our cornerstone. So come to him and surrender your life to him because he alone is our savior, our redeemer, our life. City Stad had a very bright and promising future. He was born into a very wealthy family in the 1860s during the Victorian era. And City's father and the whole family became a Christian under the evangelistic ministry of D.L. Moody. And City Stad went into college and became a famous cricket player. But at age 24, City shocked the West, whole of Western Europe when he gave up his career, when he gave up his wealth, and he became a missionary to China. He became the leader of the famous Cambridge Seven. He gave up everything for Christ. Now again, the question for us, who is your cornerstone? For City, his cornerstone is Christ. And he chose Christ above all else, above the riches and comfort of this world. You see God's promise for those who believe in him, it says in verse six, they will not be disappointed. He who believes in him, he will not be disappointed. When we choose Christ Jesus, we will not be disappointed. We will not be put to shame. The other night I, had, I was having dinner with my wife and our two girls. And I was telling them, we were actually eating ice cream. So I used that opportunity to share this verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is good, it's sweet, 
but taste and see that the Lord is good. And I told them, you know, when I was working as an engineer, I enjoyed uh, the perks, the travel, the opportunities. But then when I became a pastor, yes, there's difficulty, but then God has been faithful. And every need that we have, God provides. And sometimes surprises, unexpected surprises. So I encourage the girls, Lord willing, if you will marry someone, choose someone who loves the Lord, who is dedicated to God. Because those who believe in the Lord will not be disappointed. And so may this be true to us as well. The third, Jesus Christ is also the stumbling stone. In verse seven it says, this precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected. This became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, or they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. To this doom, they were also appointed. You see, there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who value Christ and those who reject our Lord Jesus. Those who embrace him or those who despise him and push him away. Now the question is, who are you? Are you the one who embraced Christ or despise him? Now you may say, yes, Christ is important to me. Christ is my all in all, but how true is that when people look at your actions and your choices? As mentioned, Sittistad gave up his wealth and athletic career for the sake of Christ. And what happened? What caused him to do that? You see, City's brother, George, almost died of pneumonia. Both of them were famous cricket players during that time. They were in their 20s, early 20s. And as City helped, as City sat there helpless seeing his brother fight for his life, he was confronted with this question and says, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? What's the importance of being a best cricket player when you come to that realization that you will face God soon? You see, Siti admitted that being a Christian for the last six years, his conversion was really joyless because he also had backslidden. But as a result of the near-death experience of his brother, he realized this. I know that cricket would not last and honor would not last and nothing in this world would last. But it's worthwhile to live for the world to come. You see, his brother George recovered and by God's grace, City was grateful for that, but that changed City's course and journey of faith, and he became a missionary, and that led him to take through the dangerous mission fields of China and India and Africa for the next 40 years of his life. You see, when City was in China, he was 26. That was two years after his uh, trip, after he left England, so two years since to China, he received copies of stocks and bond certificates because his father died. His father left him with an inheritance. And that inheritance is, in today's currency, it's about $5 million. And did you know what City did with that? After praying, after thought, he gave all away. Not 10%, not 50%, not even 90%. He gave all away for the gospel. City had this value for Christ, that Christ is worth more, more, much more than $5 million, or much more than the riches of this world. He gave to the ministries that he supported. The funds went to the Moody Bible Institute, then the George Mueller orphanages, and then the Salvation Army. And this is what he said. He said, 
If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Sidistad gave up everything. He became a missionary for 10 years in China. But the pollution in China destroyed his lungs and he was forced back to England. He could have said, I want to retire. I already did missions. But after a few years, he then went to India and pastored a church for six years. And then he read something that, about a missionary in Africa and says that African uh, people uh, wants to eat pastors because some Africans are cannibals. And he, he just laughed and said, oh, of course they want to. And so his heart started to long for Africa. And then he started to, to, to have the goal to set up that missions. And then for the next 20 years of his life, he went to Africa to serve as a pastor in the heart of that cannibalistic people. And by God's grace, despite the challenges, despite the physical, his physical condition against medical advice, he said, don't go to Africa, you'll die. But then he just said, I want to go, I want to go. Sidistad served the Lord for 46 years. He died at age 70 because of an untreated gallstone. And his last words, hallelujah, hallelujah. A man who is so rich on this world gave up everything for Christ because Christ is more valuable to him. How about us? What value do we put in Christ, how precious is the Lord for us. You see, I'm telling this to you, but I'm preaching to myself. Because many times when I go through ministry, I face difficulties and challenges and discouragement. Say, oh, I want to give up now. But then I look at City Stud, grab, you know, parang, well, parang nahihiya ako na. I don't even want to read his biography or, or, or yung mga quotes niya, no? Psychology, I'm sorry. I'm so foolish and... Uh, half-hearted. You see, City understood that the value of Christ is so much more, and those who cling to him, who, those who embrace him, will have a blessed inheritance that will never f- spoil or fade. But for those who reject Christ, they will be judged. See, City said, only one life, a, free, a few brief years, each one with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clay I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Dear brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know the ministry that you're in or the challenges in your parenting or your business, but whatever God is calling you to do, do it faithfully. You may be a minister in the church, And you may also be a minister in your household, in your workplaces. And I encourage you just to do everything you can for God's glory. Come to Christ in all humility and let him be your cornerstone and build your life and your work upon him. And you will never be put to shame. The next for us to overcome our adversity, we need to remember our privileged identity. Verses 9 to 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, knowing and remembering our privileged identity will help us overcome our challenges. When we go through suffering, now 
Think about it. When we go through suffering, what do you always, what do you usually tell yourself? What do you usually say? When we go through suffering, we say, God, where are you? God, in my disappointment, in my troubles, where are you? Do you love me? Does God even care? Have you asked that question? I did. You see, when we are in trouble, we need to have the right mindset. Because when trouble comes our way, our heart set and mindset is important, it matters. What we think, what we feel. Because how we think, how we feel, it will impact how we behave. We need to remember who we are. Remember who we are. And this section, Peter reminds us of our privileged identity. Who are we? In verse nine it says, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now this description is also a description of God's people Israel, but this also applies to us now for those who, us who are in Christ. It says, we are a chosen race. You see, God chose us and not rejected us. We are chosen. It means God sees us with favor, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. He chose us out of his great love and mercy. Now think about the most, that the person who is, who is, uh, kumbaga yung pinakaayaw mong piliin. Pinakaayaw mo. We may not like that person, but in God's sight, that person is precious. And God chose that person. So that is our privilege. At the same time, we are also royal priesthood. To be royal means to have a high status. Now imagine this. The people of Israel is already chosen among the nations. But in the people of Israel, there's only one tribe that is a tribe of royalty that was chosen specifically for that kingship, the line of kingship. And that is the tribe of Judah. And in the same way, we also have that privilege to become called royalty as God chose us. We have that high status. For us, we are called royal through Christ. And what is that? What is our function? We are like Christ. We also will rule with him. Christ is the king of kings and lord of lords, but Christ will rule one day and we will co-rule with him. And that is the function of a king. It is to represent God to the people and to rule over his creation. And next is the priesthood. It's also a privileged position. There's only one tribe in Israel, that is the priest, and that is the tribe of Levi. And the priest represents God to the people and the people to God. Again, this is a privilege that we have in Christ. And so we are royal priesthood. And this function is a reflection of Christ in us. Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he is the great high priest. He is the perfect king and priest. And just like Christ, we are also royal, we are also priesthood and we reflect Christ in that category. Now think about it, as priests, we serve God, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and we have access to him 24 seven. We may not have access to the mayor of Quezon City or to the president of the Philippines, but we have access to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords of the universe through Christ. And that is the privilege that we have as believers, not only as pastors or mature followers, but we have that access. Every believer have that access because of Christ. And what else? We also are a holy nation. We are set apart for God's special 
purpose. God calls us to live differently in this world, to be salt and light, to reflect his holiness and righteousness, and we are God's own possession. And as God's own possession, we are God's treasure. Just look at the person beside you. Do you think he or she is the treasure? Sige, tingnan nyo. Don't, don't be afraid. Look at the person beside you. Mukha bang treasure ni God? Oh, my precious. <laughs> so, whether whatever your viewpoint of that person is or whatever your viewpoint of yourself, remember, you are God's treasured possession. Now, what's the point? You see, when we suffer, when we go through difficulty, we will always look inward and look just ourselves and focus on suffering and say, I'm not love, I'm alone, God does not care. But in that midst of suffering, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember that we are chosen. Yes, we could be fallen, we could be suffering, but we are chosen. We are a holy nation, we are royal, we are priests. We are God's treasured possession. And if we are God's treasured possession, God will use us, God will keep us, God will protect us, and God will surely fulfill your, his great plan for your life. So I encourage you, as you go through suffering, remind yourself of these things, suffer well, endure hope, and fight the good fight of faith. And the last point is live excellently. Live excellently. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. Let me pause here. Also remember, when you go through suffering, verse 11, the first word is beloved. When you ask, does God love me? Remember this word, you are beloved. Not only you are chosen, you're holy, you're precious, you're also beloved. Now, fourth is to live excellently, beloved. I urge you to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. For what reason? So that in the things in which they slander to you as evildoers, they may become, uh, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, the Christian life is a journey, but at the same time, the Christian life is a battle. So whether you like it or not, you are fighting a war. And this is very important. And you see, one important thing during a battle is not to have a peacetime mentality. We need to have a wartime mentality when we are fighting a battle. Why? It's because when you have that peacetime mentality in the midst of a battle, you will become casualties of war. Sila yung unang namamatay, sila yung unang nagiging casualty of war. And no wonder in... First Peter, verse 13, it tells us, prepare your minds for action. Geared up the loins of your mind. Peter saying, be ready to fight. Arm yourselves, be ready to fight. And as we fight this war, we are battling in two fronts. First is the battle inside us and the battle outside. And this is the first, the inward front, the battle inside us. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. You see, we fight with the sin inside us. Note what Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts. It says to keep away, not only once, but to keep on abstaining. He did not say resist, resist. But he says, abstain, keep away from it, have nothing to do with it, because we are battling against fleshly lust. 
And what is this fleshly lust? You see, this fleshly lust could be good desires. It could be good things that are natural for us to want because that is how God created us. Desiring for food, for water, for security, for sex, for comfort, for money, for fame and achievements. These are good things. But then when these desires become the ruling things in our lives, when these good desires take priority in our hearts over God's will for our lives, then it will cause us to sin against God and it will cause us to have that lust. And so God calls us to be very careful and not to underestimate that. So again, the point is abstain from fleshly lust. You see, one of the things that we have to be careful about is we should not underestimate the power of sin. Now, some of us, when we deal with temptation, we say, oh, don't worry, I can handle it. Don't worry, I can handle it. But remember, we are at war and we need to be mindful. Don't underestimate your enemy. That's part of the art of war. Lao Tzu said, there's no greater danger than underestimating your opponent. If you think you can stand, then be very careful lest you fall. Be very careful. Don't underestimate your opponent. Don't say, oh, I can look at whatever things I want to look at. Oh, I can get whatever things. And when the right time comes, I will just give up and show it away. No, don't underestimate the reality of sin because sin is dangerous and deceitful. We are at war. So don't play with sin and don't, don't flirt around it. As mentioned, City Stud became a famous cricket player, but he gave it all up. And this is what he said. I do not say don't play games or cricket and so forth. By all means, play and enjoy them, giving thanks to Jesus for them. But only take care that games do not become an idol to you as they did to me. Because for City, the more the cricket game became the more important thing for him. He said, what good will it do to anybody in the next world to have been the best player that has ever been? And then think of the difference that and winning souls for Jesus. Dear church, what are the worldly desires that God is asking you to give up right now? What are the worldly temptations that's capturing your heart and captivating your eyes? But God is telling you, don't do that. Don't go through that path. May the Lord help us. And the second battle is the battle outside us. It says in verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the things in which they slander, you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, during Peter's time, the Christians were falsely accused and they were being slandered. And our time is no different today. As pilgrims, we should be aware that the world is watching us. The world is watching us how we live. They notice how we use our time, our money, our resources. They notice how we treat our spouse, our children, and coworkers. And the world around us, they will find ways to slander us and to accuse us and to put down the name of Christ. So we have to be very careful. You see, the world is watching us how we make choices in our lives. And equally important, the world is watching us how we handle our trials and respond to suffering. Now, when people look at your life, what will they see? What will they say? Will they see Christ in you? 
Will they see, oh, this is a very good Christian, very faithful follower of Christ? Or will they see a weak Christian, a grumbling one, a Christian that lacks faith? May God help us. While ministering in China, City Stad met and married this young woman missionary named Priscilla. And together, they had about $5 worth of possession. Yung kanilang beddings lang. No? He gave up everything. Eh? So he lived very poor. And this is what he said. The first house we had was a hunted one. It was the only one we could get in the city. We were determined to go where there was no European. For five years, we never went outside our doors without a valley of curses from our neighbors. The house was hunted not because of the ghosts or the evil spirits, but they were hunted because of the curses of the neighbors. And for five years, they have to endure that. They could not afford even to get out. Imagine that, going into a place, being cursed. Siguro kung ako yun, five days lang, uwi na ako. But for City Stad, he endured for five years. You see, City and his new family were frequently yelled at, cursed at, and estranged by many of the Chinese people because they viewed him as the foreign devil. City wrote, everything that happened in the city, the Chinese blame on us. There was a year of drought and our lives were at stake for they held us responsible. What a great suffering, endurance from a man of God. You see, Siti was also hated because of his conviction. He publicly opposed the practice of leaving babies, especially baby girls, to die in the open. You see, this, was, this practice was common in, back then in, in China because people believed that to have a baby girl is to be cursed. Malas eh. They only want baby boy. And so Stud wrote, I went into a mother's house once and found her groaning. And when I asked where the baby was, it was born at daylight. And immediately it was just thrown into the moat or into the pagoda with a certain hole so that wolves could jump in and get the baby when they wanted. That's how the baby girls were treated. So if you are sitting with your sister, your wife, or with your sister in the Lord, be grateful that they are with us. Be grateful because we are living in a time wherein baby girls have more, are, are seen as, have, that are, were given more rights and love. No? But in city's time, it was different. But here's quite interesting. By God's providence, Charles and Priscilla went on to have four children. And all of them were baby girls. It's God's providence and City believed it was because God wanted to use him to show the importance and the value of women being made in God's image. You see, City doesn't have to preach the word. He just has to love his daughter. And that is more than enough to preach the gospel to the world. Dear church, how about us? Yes, we may preach the word, we may sing the songs, but how is our life becoming salt and light to the world? How are we treating our co-workers? How are we treating our security guards, our household help? How are we treating the poor and the needy and those who are lost? You see, again, as people of God, we need to live excellently so that we can proclaim the excellencies of God. You see, that's the reason why God does not allow us to go to heaven straight right away when after we become born again. God calls us to be pilgrims so that we can live here on this earth to proclaim his excellencies, to proclaim his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness as we live for him. 
So as we close, let us remember this. We will face difficulties and adversities in this journey because this is not our real home. The place we are, where we are in now is different and difficult, but God calls us to suffer well. And how can we overcome adversity? God calls us not just on our own, but to be together as one church and family. And God calls us to overcome adversity together, to grow spiritually, to come to Jesus in humility, to remember our privilege, our identity in Christ, and to live excellently for his glory. May God bless us. May the Lord be with us. At this point, let us use this time to have a silent prayer and to reflect what are the things that you are learning, what are the things that God is asking you to do. What did you learn about God? What did you learn about your heart? What's your longing? What's your desire? And what do you want to commit today to follow the Lord? Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.